0: All right, so we're in week three of our series uh, called So You're Dead, Now What? The first two weeks we talked about heaven. This week we're gonna talk about hell. And next week we're gonna talk about uh, the process of salvation, what it looks like to uh, lead somebody in uh, the salvation prayer. Some might call it the sinner's prayer. But it's really important for us to be uh, mindful of eternity and what that looks like. And as a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, the scripture says that uh, if you take all the teachings of Jesus and the speaking of Jesus, Jesus uh, talked more about eternity or the afterlife or heaven and hell and money uh, more than he did anything else some scholars believe combined, uh, Jesus spoke very much about the things we do here and how it impacts what happens later. Uh, I find it interesting that in America, in our modern church society, uh, some of the top two topics we avoid in, in, in modern church is money. In eternity, yet Jesus talked about it so often. And so I believe that's just a great trick that the enemy has played on the American church. Like, hey, don't, don't have them be mindful of eternity and then don't let them spend uh, their efforts managing and stewarding what God gave them here in terms of their resources. But those two things go together. We have to steward our lives in a way that eternal things matter. Kingdom things matter. Are you with me? Colossians 3:2 actually says this. it says, "Set your minds. On things above, not on earthly things. Uh, Our mindset needs to be about the ways of God, the things of God, what happens beyond our day-to-day and our things here on earth. We thought we talked about it like this a few weeks ago. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live here on earth. If you just think, well, eternity and heaven or hell, or that's something for later, I'll pay attention to that later. Later is too late, You need to have your mind made up or your mind, as this scripture says, set on eternal things. Why? Because what we do now determines how we live our life here and now. Are you with me? Uh, They had this old saying in church that would say, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And the idea would be that people would say, uh, you know, all our songs and our hymns and our things were someday in the sweet by and by. I'm going to get out of here. You know, I'm at the rap, waiting on the rapture train. I'm just going to get out of here. And we had this idea that like once you got saved and you became a Christ follower, all you really cared about was the day that you get to go to heaven. But that's not how God called us to live here on earth. And so the saying was, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Uh, I challenged us that we should be a people that are so heavenly minded that we actually then do some earthly good. Yeah. We're so eternally minded. Our mind is so set on the things of God that uh, we're so mindful of those things that it causes us to react in a way that we make a difference in our community here and now. Are you with me? Yeah. And then we said, we also know that there are some people that are so earthly minded, they're, they're no heavenly good. You know, they spend so much effort on what they can build and achieve and accomplish here uh, that they don't do anything to produce anything for the kingdom and make a difference in their communities, and we don't want to be that either. This, we believe this, that you spend your life two ways, either on earthly things or eternal things. When you wake up in the morning, you kind of register two ways. I'm waking up this morning to make a difference for the kingdom of God. God, I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference. Or God, I'm, you know, you wake up and you say, what can I get for me? What can I build for me? What can I gain and achieve and grab today? And we need to be the people who our minds are set on eternal things. I mentioned this a minute ago. The scripture says our life is but a vapor. Think of it like this. If you took the cover off a pot and that steam goes up for a minute and then it vanishes, that's what our life is, the Bible says. For a moment, it's, it's just there and then it's gone. In the scheme of eternity, it's just this thing that's here and then gone. But eternity for us is an endless ocean compared to that vapor. And so our minds need to be mindful about the afterlife and what, what, what we're building beyond our time here now, amen? Even the Great Commission, when Jesus is leaving and gives us the Great Commission, literally, you know, he, his instruction to us is basically what? Go out and do stuff for heaven, Go out and be eternally minded, be kingdom minded. He says, go into the highways and byways and preach the good news and baptize them and fill them with the Holy Spirit. All these things. Why? Because he says, go out and be kingdom minded. Somebody say amen. So here's the truth that we face. Uh, We talk very much about hell and that's a reality. And the other reality or heaven, the other reality is hell. We talk a lot about heaven and then the other reality, which is just as true, is the reality of hell. And Jesus spoke of it often. And the reason it's important for us to be very mindful of it is because three people die every second. So in the amount of time that it took me to just say that and finish that, three people have gone on to face eternity. 180 people die in one minute. 180 people will have an eternal judgment in front of them every minute, 11,000 people an hour. So in the one hour that you sit in this church service, 11,000 people will face eternity and their consequence or their judgment is going to be for heaven or hell. Think about it this way. 250,000 people die a day. In a four-day period, one million people die. In a four-day period, one million people die. So think of it like this, in a 30-mile radius of us right now, if you count Grand Rapids, we, in a 30-mile radius of where we are, we basically have a population of about a million people. So if you took where we were and drew a 30-mile radius, you know, including into Grand Rapids, that means in four days, everybody in that 30-mile radius vanishes and faces eternity. Every four days, that many people go on to face eternity. And so what does that cause us to do in our daily lives? The way we act, the way we talk, the way we converse with people and, and listen and engage, if that many people are taken from here every four days, how many of you know we should be pretty eternally minded? Yeah. We should have our mindset on things above, not things here on earth. And the truth is about this sermon of hell, uh, I love to preach. I see sermons. I pause movies. I save tweets. I, everything. I see the world through sermons. Uh, you, you guys know this about me. I've preached points from Princess Poppy and like, you know, I just see the world in, in sermons. But the truth is about this sermon of hell, uh, it's a sermon I don't want to preach. I don't like to preach it. I don't like to have the conversation. It's a hard conversation, but the reality of heaven is just as real as the reality of hell. Amen. Are you with me? Uh, it's easy to get up and talk about love and, and doing this for the community and feeding uh, people, you know, kids and, and, and kids hope and all these kinds, of, those are easy to preach. But it's just as important for us to talk about the eternity of hell. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon, when people talk about uh, Jesus' teachings, everybody refers to the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about the greatness of God and all these things. But even in his greatest sermon, he talked about the reality of hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus 33 times mentions hell, 32 of those times he refers to it as a place of fire. 90% of what we know in the New Testament about hell, 90% of what we know comes directly from Jesus. It isn't a scholar's opinion, it isn't another thing directly from the words of Jesus, he speaks about the eternity of hell. It's a real thing. Uh, They have this thing as a doctor called the, uh, you're going to have to help me, I think it's the Hippocratic Oath, right? No one, some say yes. I think those people are lying. Like, yes, that. <laughs> no, you know, you're, uh, basically, it says this. Like, look, I have to tell you the truth. Uh, I, I get the report. I do the diagnosis. And I have to tell you the truths. And as a pastor, I'm in that same place. I can't get up here and tell you God loves you and wants to bless you and he's got a Lamborghini for you and all these kinds of things. But then also not tell you, hey, if we don't make changes in our life, we're on the road to destruction. Amen? And so it's, it's, our, it's our truth that we carry as Christians, and it's the same thing in your life, in your uh, co-worker space, in your lunch rooms, all those places. I'm not saying you get on the table and start shouting how people are going to hell, but what I'm saying is, like, as a Christian and a Christ follower, you're somebody who, who holds to this idea that you have a responsibility to be honest with people with the knowledge in the scripture that you have. Amen? What's Difficult in that is many Christians or people who claim to be Christ followers, they want to choose what fits and ignore the rest. So they say, I love these parts about God. This part I can do. Give me these parts. So I like to do this and and I'll even do this, but I'm going to ignore all of these parts and that's not surrender to God. Amen? Amen. Uh, we see even in culture, uh, even in the way in nature and in different things, we see that we're programmed to something better after death. The cycles that are built even point to greatness after death. You look at how even in nature, when a seed goes in the ground and dies, we believe for something better. You see a caterpillar who transforms. We are built for happily ever after. Would you agree? There's something on the inside of us. We talked about it last week that eternity's been set on the inside of us. We believe that after a season that there's something better. And why is that? Because God programmed you and wired you to know that this isn't it. There's greater things ahead for us. Amen? Amen. But we're made for a happily ever after. But can I tell you that hell is not happily ever after? Hell in our culture has become so watered down and made joke of. Uh, as I studied for this series, I'm trying to run a little bit, which is like fast walk. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I just put on like the Apple uh, playlist, you know, just shuffle any kind of upbeat workout music. And It's been interesting to me to listen as I've had this stuff on my mind that how much in culture hell is celebrated. Now, some of you old rockers, you're going to get what I'm talking about, where you have the highway to hell and all those kinds of things. Uh, and, and even in like it just culture, rap, whatever you're listening to, we've made hell, which is one of the most vile, disgusting things that you'd ever want to be a part of your vernacular, we've made that into such a soft term. Hell should really scare you. Hell should be something that we tremble about because it isn't made for you. It's made for the devil and for his demons and the fallen angels. Hell is something that doesn't just fit into our songs and we make it a part of our motivation. You should shudder at the idea of hell. Amen? Hell is not happily ever after. Uh, We see it said, In culture, it's been so watered down. You say things like uh, in tournament time, like uh, basketball you're watching, you say, man, that was a hell of a shot. Or uh, some people might say, "Uh, hell if I know. And it's just become a a common part of our vernacular. But you would never say something like this. um, Cancer if I know. 9-11 if I know. You would never take something so extreme and damaging and, 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 and make it into like a soft thing. It's a great trick that's been pulled on our culture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The idea of hell should motivate you in such a way that it causes you to wake up and make a difference in our community. So a couple points for you. One I've already shared. Number one thing that we need to know about hell, and I've shared it in our last couple of weeks, is not everybody is going to heaven. The first thing we need to know about hell is that everybody is not going to heaven. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You choose hell. The truth, when we, talk about, when we talk about the justice of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, at the end of the day, God, and I know you've heard this if you've grown up any time in church, God does not send anybody to hell. We choose hell. Does that make sense? You're with me. Uh, I thought about it with our kids. Uh, anytime they faced a consequence where you've clearly laid it out to them, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and then they do it, what do we say as a parent? You made that choice. You made that choice. And that's kind of where God is at on this. He loves you so much, he's given you a free will. You're not created a robot. He created you a person who gets to make the choice to love him and serve him and be eternally minded or you can live for yourself and choose a place that's away from him. Are you with me? Hell was not made for you. It was made for Satan and the fallen angels. But it is a place that you can choose to go. Matthew chapter 25, 41 it says, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Second Thessalonians 1, eight through nine it says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. I heard it said like this. This is so powerful. Hell is a greater measure of what you wanted on earth. So what does that mean? It means if you lived your life running from God, pushing God away, resisting the things of God, then that is the thing that's given to you in eternity. When you've chose to resist the gospels and the ways of God and the teaching of God and the love of God, then what you essentially uh, acquire is a lifetime of that in hell. Does that make sense? Psalm 917 says this, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and then it says this, and all the nations that forget God. When people live a life of choosing to forget God and the ways of God and the will of God, they become the people who've lived as a nation who forget God. And for them is hell. Are you with me? Number two, point number two. You guys having fun? You Tweeting this out like in a really positive? okay. Uh, point number two, more people, and this is a tough one as a pastor, more people will go to hell than to heaven. Statistically, uh, the scripture, as we just read a minute ago, says it's harder to get to heaven than it is to hell, but statistically, you can just add up the people groups and see that statistically, right now, if 11,000 people die an hour, and the evangelism rate as a current Christian, the American Christian, statistically, the Barner Research Group says that an average American only shares the gospel or their testimony to one person a year, to one person a year. They have an experience where they say, hey, you need to come and know the ways of God, this, my savior, how he's changed my life. We, we've resisted those conversations. So if that many people are dying with, in an hour and the American evangelism rate is, is so low, uh, check out these statistics then. So our, our our point is that more people will go to hell than heaven. Currently, there are 1.6 billion Muslims claiming a different way than Jesus. Right now, 1.6 Muslim, 1 point, or 1 billion Hindus and 500 million Buddhists right now are claiming a way other than Jesus. So when you start looking at the stats in the data of people either on their way or on their way to heaven or hell, you start seeing staggering results of a world that we what? Still need to reach. We can't come in and just sing songs and have a good time. We we need to position our lives to go out and reach what the scripture says is a harvest. Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What does that mean? It's the Christians who go out and make a difference and live eternally minded and harvest that labor. Those are those that are few. Think about it like this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, nobody comes to the Father but through me. There's no good work you can achieve. There's no parent who was raised in God that then all of a sudden you get the blessing. Uh, You have to choose Jesus as your way, your truth, and your life. Amen? Amen? I thought about it like this. If there was any other way than Jesus in a relationship with him, if there was any other way, then why would, have, why would God have sent his son who was perfect to die and to suffer and to be tortured? There is no other way or God would have done it. Does that make sense? Amen. Hell, I've said this before, is your default destination. Until we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, hell is our default destination. That's where we're headed. Until the redemptive work of God is done in our life, that's where we're going. And so we need to live like that as Christians, that we need to go out and change the eternal zip codes of people, have it burning in our hearts and on our minds that we're gonna go out and make a difference. Are you with me? I, deal, I will pause here and say this. For any young child who doesn't have the understanding of salvation and redemption in the process, I believe that they're in heaven. For any uh, miscarriage or any kind of trauma like that, I believe that they're in heaven. The scripture actually says about children that heaven is full of these. The kingdom of God is this, kids. Why? Because I believe God honors that. And I also believe this too, that in nanoseconds before death, people can have an experience with God. I believe that there's been car crashes and you can read in this book where maybe somebody lived a life far from God and you might not know in that last moment the encounter that they've had. Are you with me? But we need to live like it's our great commission to go out and make sure they have that experience with God before death, amen? So I can't give you everything about hell in one sermon in 30 minutes. So there's a lot that you can jump online and research and I can share some books with you. But in closing, I do wanna describe a little bit uh, here at point number three. So hell is infinitely and indescribably worse than you can imagine. If heaven is infinitely and indescribably better than you can imagine, hell is infinitely and indescribably worse than you can even imagine. What we do know about hell is these things we got from the Greek word that Jesus spoke of, Gehenna, describing hell to be like these things. A place of burning flesh. I mean, that, I'm out right there. Just that idea. But a place of smoke and fire and, and burning. It's referred to so many times of, of fire. Uh, one thing that you can't even begin to imagine what this would be like, it's a place of total isolation. Imagine the feeling of eternity, eternity, never connecting with anyone or anything again. Just you there in your suffering for eternity, total isolation. You hear, though, the things such as weeping and gnashing of teeth. People have given accounts of it feels like continual falling. And so you're just in this place of sheer torment. If you've ever had a dream where you felt like you're falling, you wake up just in that panic. That panic lives on you in a place called hell. And so gnashing of teeth and total isolation and uh, endless screams of of the worst blood-curdling scream you could hear, that's the place that you exist in forever. Uh, Jesus himself speaks of it being a place where there's maggots and worms and decay, just the place of everything that you could horribly imagine that is eternity for those in hell. There's more that you can look up and read through people who've had afterlife experiences, but hell is indescribably and infinitely worse than anything you can imagine. And so anytime we think, oh, it's not a big, we'll get to it later, oh, well, no. If you were to see the most devastating thing you could think of happening on a street corner, what would you do to stop that from happening? Everything, you would do everything. Happening to your kids or happening to your loved one. People say, I would jump in front of a car, I would take a bullet. Well, those things don't even compare to what eternity in hell is gonna be like. What would you do to stop that from happening in somebody's life? That needs to be our mindset as believers, amen? Luke chapter 16, I can't get into the whole thing, but there's a story of a rich man and Lazarus and there's uh, a hell experience. Uh, You get a story from a person in hell and there's some things that are definite in this story. The first thing is that the person who is in hell uh, experienced and, and spoke of their lives being in hell conscious. They had consciousness, meaning they were aware of what was going on. They also knew that their destiny was irrevocably fixed. It was a part of their eternity. What's amazing to me is the experience accounts, again in Luke uh, 16, their experience, they also understood and came to terms with what was happening to them was just. There wasn't talk of unfairness and how did I get here? They understood that this was a place that they chose through the life that they experienced. He also pleaded with somebody to help his loved ones to know Jesus. I'll close with this. Literally, he's there understanding I deserve this. This is just of my life. I made this choice, but my one desire is will somebody make sure my loved ones who aren't here hear Jesus? They just need to know. Are you with me? I thought about this statement is amazing. It says, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Everything starts with our eternity. Everything we do here, every decision we make, everything we build should start first with what happens after here, and we build from there. Amen? There's a story of a pastor in Texas, a true story, and he tells the story of a wife who got in an automobile accident and she died. And what struck the husband was about 30 minutes before they had their crash, he was filling up their car and the ambulance near them uh, are parked and also filled with gas right near them. So as they each pumped, he saw the driver, he saw the people, he saw the car, and then 30 minutes down the road in a different place, that was the ambulance that came and essentially transported her dead body to the hospital. And so he said this to the pastor. He said, I wish the people would know that right now, your ambulance that transports your dead body could be being filled with gas right now. Or your loved ones right now, the ambulance could be at the gas station getting the gas that it's gonna take to come receive your corpse. I'm not here to scare you and threaten you and turn or burn and all this kind of stuff, but that's a reality that we live in. Are we living in a way that we're doing all that we can to make sure people have heard, not about hell, but about the goodness of God and what he has for us in heaven and that this place is not meant for us and we need to choose him? Are we living that way? Are we, are we making up our mind that it's the most important, not onto the next thing that we can build or achieve or we need to be eternally minded? I thought about it like this. Is an awkward conversation worse than a lifetime of wondering or maybe a lifetime of regret? Having an awkward conversation Here's what I would say to you. People can argue the Bible. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. But if you sit down at a table and you say, look, here's how God's changed my life. Here's how my marriage has been made better. Here's how my has been better. Here's how this. And I want you to experience that. And here's a few things I know about the Bible and what it says about heaven and how we choose God. And we'll talk more about that next week. But who's, who's going to have a problem with that? I think it gets a little rough when we go into places and we point fingers and people you know, face and say, you're going to, you're going to, and we get a little rough with it. But I think that awkward conversation is so much better than a lifetime of regret or wondering. Are you with me? And just remember this about hell. Second Peter three, nine says, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want us in hell. He doesn't want anyone in hell. He wants us with him. He's prepared a place for us when we choose him. The truest signs of a true believer is the emphasis on eternity. When you live a life of making a difference in people's lives, that's your greatest sign of your strength as a believer, living for the kingdom, living for reaching others. Amen.